This is the MG Car Club podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this episode, news of a brand new event from a brand new collaboration. And we talk to David Whale, chairman of the FBHVC, about the latest on E10 fuel and his own memories of MG ownership. The MG Car Club podcast. Hello, welcome to another MG Car Club podcast. Wayne Scott with you. Hope you're well. And have you got yours yet? I'm talking, of course, about the tickets for the Triumph and MG weekend that's taking place this coming August at the Three Counties Showground, Malvern. That's between the 13th and 15th of August 2021, when hopefully, according to Boris and his so-called roadmap, we'll be out of this nightmare that is lockdown and be able to attend MG events once again. And it's great to see that during the pandemic, of course, so many people have come together to help each other, to make things happen. And it's really great to see that now car clubs are coming together to make things happen. And the old rivalries of ancient times in the British motor industry, they were like the city versus United of the sports car market once upon a time. Triumph versus MG. Of course, these days, owners of MGs and owners of Triumphs are friendly acquaintances, perhaps with a bit of banter to between but now they're coming together and it's with uh, great excitement that the mg car club announced that they join forces with tr register and triumph sports six club to create a partnership for one year only to create a new event at the three county showground at malvern over the weekend of 13th to the 15th of august and the weekend promises all the great stuff that we would normally look forward to at mg live minus the circuit racing of course and the mg race championship hoping still to compete at silverstone this summer but it will include the california cup it'll also include anniversary celebrations for the mg midget turning 60 this year and the 20th anniversary of the zeds and the Z register already planning a monumental display of zeds at that event uh, we're really looking forward to celebrating all of those wonderful cars with our friends over from triumph and the zed register joining their 20th anniversary event with this event at the three county showground at malvern as well so all exciting stuff you can see more on this event by going online and going to triumph and mgweekend.com it's triumph and mgweekend.com you can buy your tickets from there already and also if you're interested in selling stuff out of your garage that you might have accumulated or indeed cleared through during lockdown you can do that as well by picking auto jumble pitches or trading parts via the bring and buy sale and this is free to do and basically you bring all the old junk out of your garage you put it on a big table like you used to do at school raffles <laughs> and sell it and uh, it's basically like ebay but for real you can actually touch this stuff and peruse it at this event so uh, all of the information on that is available online triumph and mgweekend.com and get your tickets there now including your camping passes if you fancy a night under the stars partying with other classic car chums really exciting stuff and we'll keep you up to date here on the podcast as news of the event grows and the organizing party announce more new features and new exciting things to look forward to from the triumph and mg weekend this august at the three county showground at malvern also, lots of questions coming into the podcast about E10 fuel. And as you would have heard in the teaser at the beginning of the episode, we are talking to David Whale, chairman of the FBHVC. Also, by the way, 
He was the previous secretary for the Midland Centre of the MG Car Club for over a decade. So we'll quiz him on his MG memories and also on what the latest news is regarding E10. Lots of you asking questions about this via the contact form at mgpodcast.uk. Also, of course, don't forget we are still taking questions for the new insurance scheme. We had Pete Barrett on on the last episode of the podcast telling us more about what we need to look out for with classic car insurance. But specifically, if there's any questions that you've got, we're going to have Pete back on so that I can ask him all of your questions, basically. So if there's anything burning about insurance that you want to find out about, uh, we're hoping to have him on in the next sort of three or four weeks. So get your questions in now, mgpodcast.uk. You can fill out the contact form on there, or indeed, you can record a voicemail as well, and we can play your message out here on the podcast That's questions for Pete Barrett from Cherished Vehicle Insurance, the new insurance partners of the MG Car Club. And also, as I talk to you now, Mother's Day is nearly upon us, and also International Women's Day here in the UK, which means it's time to buy those special ladies in our lives the presents they deserve. Yes, it's all online as well for you at shop.mgcc.co.uk. All of the MG goodies you need to treat your mum for this year's Mother's Day uh, and lots of nice stuff actually from baseball caps. uh, Also some really lovely gifts on the shop like a brand new rose gold wristwatch for ladies with the MG logo within and some lovely ladies clothing as well. Some of it was shared on the newsletter that you get of course every weekend from the MG Car Club. The rest of it can be found very easily on the shop. Just go to shop.mgcc.co.uk. Orders going out to the UK as normal from the MG Car Club shop at the moment. Currently, though, due to Brexit and the complications that it's put onto the shop, currently not taking any orders from outside the UK. Very sorry about that. That service will resume very, very soon. We'll have news of that when it does. Now, though, pressing on with this episode of the podcast... And with no further ado, we'll talk to David Whale, chairman of the FBHVC, next. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go. UK, sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Well, on this episode of the MG Car Club podcast, I'm joined by David Whale, who, well, returns to the podcast after a year since he was on last. And uh, welcome along, David, first of all. Hi, Wayne. Good to be joining you. I can't believe it was a year ago since we had you on last, as we started this podcast at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020. Going back to a year ago, uh, E10 Fuels was very much on the agenda, and you gave us a fantastic update that announced the news that uh, E5 protection grade was going to remain so uh, we'll get an update on that from you in just a moment as well as all of the other work that the Federation of British Historic Vehicle Clubs are doing but first of all I wanted to talk to you David about your MG life because lots of people who listen to this podcast might not know that you are a ex-secretary of the MG Car Club's Midlands Centre aren't you? Well indeed it was uh, actually It was my first foray into a car club, and um, I joined um, the MG Car Club Midlands Centre 
um, when when I was uh, a much younger, seventeen-year-old, and um, that that was the start of all of this, really. Wow, amazing! And of course, it was the start of your career in rallying as well and being very much involved in the organization of rallying but that came out of a meeting with a name that is something of a legend in mg circles bill wallace tell us about how that came around oh well well bill bill of course was um one of the founder members of the midland center and was very very active in the late 60s, early 70s. And I, I suppose he was, you know, a bit of a father figure um, to me. And he, he actually mentored me in terms of things that I did with the MG Car Club, um, with the rallying. Um, uh, and and also quite a lot of the stuff that I did um, with the RAC from a motorsport perspective. Which basically saw you stand in damp, dark forests across the country, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, ironically, I, I got um, a, a beam about it that uh, I thought that the RAC rally of Great Britain would be would be good to experience and one of uh, probably one of my first successes with the Midland Centre Committee was convincing them that we should go out on um, the rally and uh, uh, Bill of course was quite a, a rally man and, and, and was absolutely up for this and the first year we didn't actually go anywhere near the forests. Um, we got a job in North Wales at um, the West Shore Garage, which basically uh, means the west side of the Great Orm. And we ran a passage control there. Hmm. And, and that, was, that was the first experience. But I suppose... What happened once we got there actually um, got me hooked. And it was um, now way before you were even a twinkle in your parents' <laughs> eyes. There was a motoring program, which you'll have heard of, Wheelbase, which was, uh, which was hosted by Raymond Baxter. Mm. And um, at the time... They were covering that year, they were covering the rally uh, with a full outside broadcast crew in uh, Dovey Forest. And um, we were located before the competitors went down to Dovey. And there was, there was a really bad accident and massive delays. And... We set up this passage control, never done anything like it before. And then probably um, an hour or so into, into doing that, um, got a phone call from a BBC producer basically saying, well, Raymond Baxter's in Dovey, um, but he's got nothing to talk about. 
So what we'd like you to do is talk to all the crews as they come off um, the Great Orm, find out what's been happening to us, and then Raymond Baxter's going to call you uh, two or three times over a 30-minute period and chat to you um, about what's, what's actually happening in Clendidno. <laughs> and, 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 and that was the start of it all. Greatly enjoyed it. And um, that led uh, to 31 years' involvement um, with the RAC Rally of, of Great Britain, um, you know, with various sponsors. I think I did, I did a couple of years with Daily Mirror. I did all of the Lombard years. I did all of the Network Q years. And then I actually um, moved the rally um, because by then I was, by the end, I was host town coordinator. Um, and I moved the rally from Cheltenham uh, to Cardiff for the, uh, the first event uh, that was run as Wales Rally GB. Hmm, amazing. And of course, this was all balanced next to a career in automotive, wasn't it? Because, of course, you worked for Castrol Oils at the time. Well, I did, and I was very, very fortunate, actually, because my my path into into Castrol was quite an interesting one, because my my uh, father was intrinsically involved in the Castrol business. In those days, uh, Castrol was run very much as a a family business, and. Um, I was actually uh, recruited by them without a job to go to. They, uh, they contacted me and said, would you like to come and work for us? And I said, well, what will I be doing? And they said, we don't really know. Um, and I, it's scary, isn't it, today? Ima imagine that someone saying to you, well, come and join us. I'm sure something will come up. But that was... Um, it, it worked rather well because, of course, Castro loves the fact I was involved in motorsport. Um, so they were quite tolerant of the time that I, I used to need to go off and play, play motor cars and motorsport. Yes, it's what we all need, isn't it? It's tolerant jobs and tolerant partners in life, and then <laughs> we can get on with this passion. But uh, going back to those early days, do you remember what it was about MG that, that brought you into the MG Car Club in the first place? <laughs> well, it was quite simple. Um, like uh, probably all 16-year-olds at the time, um, my dream of a car was a Mini, um, because that's that's what everybody wanted and everybody had and um i i i was um really keen to get a mini as my first car and um um my parents um who were quite prepared to to buy me my first car um thought it, minis were too small and at one day um my father said to me what about an MG1100? And it, it was actually uh, for sale. 
um, at a little uh, garage um, on my way to school. And I went and looked at this car and thought, wow, you know, it's pretty smart. Um, it was Connell Green, an old English white. Um, the archetypal, uh, you know, one lady out from New. <laughs> and um, so I, I said, yes please and and that became my first car rare to see them around now isn't it and amazing what's happening to the values of mm. them but that's how it started when i when i sold the mg i did get a mini um but, <laughs> so I, I satisfied that desire but um that that was my introduction to ng car club because in those days of course we used to you used to get the weekly local newspapers. And uh, in the Litchfield Mercury, very soon after I'd passed my driving test, MG Carter had uh, a sprint at Kerbera in August. Um, they still have that date. Um, and, of course, I many members will, will know I was clerk, of course, for that event for years. Um, but I saw that, uh, this event advertised in the Litchfield Mercury, uh, went along and, and, and was caught. To this day, they are very much a motorsport-centred part of the MG Car Club. It sort of runs through the veins of everyone in the Midlands Centre, doesn't it? Oh, oh yeah. To be honest, you know, we're pretty sure we actually put on a motorsport event every month. You know, sometimes in, in May with Silverstone and California Cup, we didn't do anything. But the first event in January was the Red Horse Rally. And 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 then it, it, it sort of developed from there over trials. And, um, you know, grass auto tests were very, very popular um, in, those, in the 60s and 70s. And, um, you know... Good, great fun in your everyday car, and uh, you went to work in your car on Monday. Mm. This broad range of activities within motoring, of course, giving you a good grounding for your current position, David, because you are, of course, chairman of the Federation of British Historic Vehicle Clubs. And for those who might be listening to this podcast and hearing that name for the first time, just give us an overview of what the Federation does and, and why it's here. So it's, um, it's been around uh, for 33 years now, formed in 1988, basically as the organisation um, that looks after all of our historic vehicles, and I use the word vehicles very carefully, um, because cars actually only represent about 50% of the vehicles that we look after um, and basically um, maintains the freedom to use yesterday's vehicles on tomorrow's roads. And of course one of the important parts of uh, that freedom at the moment is protecting us from legislation isn't it that um, you know mostly inadvertently uh, can go against the historic vehicle owner but uh, the federation does a lot of campaigning on our behalf doesn't it massively so 
you know, I, in more normal times, um, I would uh, generally be in Westminster um, two or three times a month. Um, sometimes if there was something, you know, really important happening, uh, more frequently than that. But as you say, it, it's, it's very often, you know, people who draft legislation actually don't understand some of the consequences of what they think might be a really good idea. And, and it, it's, it's just a case of taking people on a journey to get um, what's right for the historic vehicle movement. You know, when, when we were doing the roadworthiness directive, which, which lasted, I, I attended my first meeting in Westminster on roadworthiness directive in December 2012, and the legislation was enacted in 2018. In that three month period towards the end of the previous year, I went to Westminster every week for 12 weeks and if it if it was a bad week i went twice as well as legislation what we've got to worry ourselves with is making sure that we can coexist with this carbon neutral future that's being laid out for us and you know we do need to be more aware of the emissions that we create in our lives and the drive to be carbon neutral and reduce emissions around the world but there is a balance to be struck isn't there and there is a belief that historic vehicles can still exist whilst not holding back or having to protest against the progress that we need to see for the future in daily transport well that that's absolutely right and i think you know, the next two decades, um, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the situation unfolds. And, you know, the electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, um, the environment, um, all of these are very, very valid topics. And I think what we're seeing at the moment is some extremes in terms of what people are, are setting as their goals. And um, all of these things will find a level. But the Federation is there to ensure that whatever comes along, actually, we get a balance debate about the topic and and get an equitable outcome about of of you, you know how the future needs to be there are some more immediate problems with fuel aren't there and of course we sit here in the week that the government have announced that e10 will go on sale from the 1st of september 2021 there were some successes for the Federation early on, and that's what you came and updated us on on the podcast very early on in this series, back on episode one, I think it was, actually. There have been some updates since then, so where are we at with it now? Well, I'm absolutely delighted to say 
that all of the promises that I've been talking about, you know, from episode one, let's take that as a timeline. Um, the government this week have honoured their commitment and basically, as you say, E10 arrives on four courts in September, but the E5 protection grade, as it is called, um, which has been on full courts for three or four years already, will be available um, by, as a result of legislation at least for the next five years. So that, that assures people, you know, and I've had journalists quite recently actually approach me and say, oh, the end is nigh when I have to put um, E10 in my my vehicle, and and that was the editor of of a mainline publication, who I I actually called. We know each other quite well, and I said, but but that's not how it's going to be. Mm. You know, the E10 is there to meet government objectives about reducing the impact of motoring, but. Um, they, the government totally recognise that, generally speaking, vehicles produced prior to the year 2000 are better suited, actually, to run on um, an E5 product. And when we say E5, that means up to 5% of bioethanol. It, it isn't 5%. It's somewhere between zero and five percent, and the legislation that government have, have told us this week that they're bringing forward over the next two or three months. Um, I say it again: the E5 protection grade will be available for the next five years at least. And it's interesting because we must stress that because we did have a question in just today as we were coming on to record this actually from Andy Robson from the MG Car Club Midland Centre picking up on another one of those reports that you mentioned there David from the press that uh, are sort of uh, shouting that the end is nigh and that no one will bother to stock E5 but four courts are obligated to have it in stock aren't they? Yeah that's right so as we're saying in our press release that will be going out a little later this afternoon, um, four courts that actually sell over a million litres of product a year, and that, that's quite a lot of four courts, um, actually will have a, a legal obligation to stock two grades of petrol at least. And those two grades... One of them will be E10, and the second one is the E5 protection grade. Very, very good news, and just an example, really, of hard work coming to fruition for the FBHVC, isn't it? And this is why the clubs support the Federation, and this is why we must all work together to ensure that things like this don't threaten our future. Well, that's right. Membership of the Federation is by subscription. Um, and 
you know, we have 510 clubs at the moment. And and they encompass um, a wide variety. So if you if you look at those those clubs, um, just about I think it's fifty two percent from memory. I haven't looked at the stats um, in a little while, but fifty two percent of our member clubs have one hundred and twenty five members or less. Um, okay, there's some big clubs out there like MG Car Club, for example. But there is a real cross-section there. And it's, it's the, the support of all clubs is really, really critical. Because when I go and talk to government, you know, um, several years ago... Um, we we used to uh, when um, Edward Montague was our president. We used to host a dinner um, on the Friday night between the before the September uh, Bewley meeting, and um, we used to host this uh, dinner. It was a really good opportunity to maybe get six or eight MPs down to Bewley to really experience what Bewley was like. And the then Secretary of State um, was sitting next to me, and before we started um, the dinner, he said to me, just remind me how many enthusiasts you represent. And I said, 250,000. And he said, thank you. That's a lot. <laughs> That'll um, do. <laughs> uh, um, we we didn't touch on the subject for the rest of the evening, and <laughs> um, he's still he's still around. Um, he's a member of Parliament, and um, it, it's the support of those people. You know, we we talk about um, the all party parliamentary historic vehicle group and. To Greg Knight and you know I talk to Greg and his team every week sometimes two or three times a week but these all party groups um, if anyone's interested in finding out more about them um, if you google all party groups on the parliamentary website you'll find there's over 600 of them they represent um, a vast array of, of interests. But importantly, they are cross-party. So we get re representation from lots and lots of the political parties. And a contact might come up, and you, you might not hear from that Member of Parliament ever again. You know, but the when the Transport Scotland bill was going through um, its its um, draft stages, um, we got a request from a gentleman called Murdo Fraser. Um, he's a stag um, enthusiast, and he needed some real 
constituency support in Scotland. And at four days' notice, I can't remember now how many contacts we generated for the members of the Scottish Parliament with, with enthusiasts just saying, this is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's critical, you know, because our democratic structure is, is um, based around constituencies and representing all of the people who might listen to this call. It just highlights the importance of clubs working together as well through the Federation and within their own networks as well to ensure that we as a movement are moving together. Uh, Just rounding off E10, uh, there is a government link that you can use on the GovUK website to check whether your vehicle is E10 uh, compliant. Um, But for those of you listening from the MG Car Club who have an MG, don't bother using it because there is no data on MGs on there according to gov uk uh, mg stopped being built in 2005 and therefore they have no data so uh, there's work to be done on some of the uh, information that is on that link of course early days uh, for that but uh, something else that we can hopefully uh, take up with them and and get filled out um there was a question also following on for that from andy from the midland center about uh, the chinese mgtfs as far as I understand, the Chinese-built MGs are going to be fine with E10 fuel because the fact is, David, that E10 fuel has been used heavily in other countries, especially in Europe, for quite some time, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I think, you know, in in France, you know, if, if once you stop for fuel... <laughs> I'm I'm always particularly careful that I get the right grade because they have a far greater choice of fuels than we do, including E10. And I think we've already seen with the Federation this week, you know, people saying, well, what do I do um, if I go to Europe and can only source E10? And... Um, I suppose you've just got to be pragmatic about this and make sure that when you get on the Channel Tunnel or on the ferry um, that you've got a full tank of fuel and you come back with an empty tank that you put some E5 in as soon as you you get back. Um, You're not going to do massive harm if you put one or two tankfuls of E10 in, but you 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 just need to manage it in a careful manner and a lot of it is down to maintenance as well isn't it Uh, quite a lot of the problems we've seen with e10 related or ethanol related fuel fires in classic cars is because frankly the fuel lines have been left for decades and haven't been changed and that's where often the problems lie so if a well-maintained vehicle is heading across into europe they shouldn't really have too much trouble no, that's right. And I, you know, just going back to the protection grade, I've actually purchased that product um, from uh, the point when it first became available. I tend um, to have relatively little fuel in um, the tanks of my vehicles. And when I'm going to start them, um, I just I keep ten liters of of the fuel um, in the garage, 
um, put a couple of litres of, of fuel in so there's a splash of fresh fuel in there. And to be honest, I've never encountered a problem with fuel at all. Well, so much to cover here, David. But um, I do know that you know the Federation are, are taking fuels very seriously, not just from the E5, E10 point of view, but also for sustainability into the future. And as a result of that, you now have a fuels expert on board, don't you, to look after these particular issues? Yes, absolutely. I think he only joined us about two weeks ago. And um, if it were not uh, for uh, our secretary... Emma protecting him, um, he would be under siege um, from uh, enthusiasts and many, many questions. But um, his name is Nigel Elliott. Um, he is an enthusiast. Um, he's run uh, classic Range Rovers in the past, and he's quite a competitor too. He's got a very quick uh, Triumph TR7 with V8 engine and I think twin um, turbochargers on it. But what's great um, about Nigel is that he serves on um, a number of British Standard Institution committees. He was actually chairman of the Unleaded Fuels Committee until recently. And what's become evident in the last couple of weeks is that he knows his subject um, inside out. And that, that's brilliant, you know, because for the Federation, I've built quite a, a big team now. There's about 35 of us. And what we like to do is get subject matter experts and and nigel is going to be able to take us to a new level um with fuel because there's lots of questions around you know the the number of questions that we get every week saying can i run my vehicle on um avgas um is quite frightening you know <laughs> what about synthetic fuels and um you know what i say to listeners is please just be patient we'll get to all of this but but we can't fix the world of fuels in two weeks mm, absolutely well it's a complicated subject that probably those that making the decisions about this complicated subject don't understand a lot of the uh, activities the decisions and the research um, from the federation is instructed by us the members of car clubs and those that filled out the national historic vehicle survey which is something hugely important for the entire movement isn't it that's right we've been conducting this research since 1997 and covid created a bit of a dilemma for us last year because uh we would do uh to research the next five yearly piece of work in 2021. And we had to make some pretty rapid decisions because uh, research in 2021 
would have relied on data in 2020, which, of course, was not going to be representative. So we actually, we ran the enthusiast part of the survey early um, so that uh, we could rely on 2019 data. And, and then over the last three pieces of research, we've, um, we've done some attitudinal and behavioral research as well. And um, we've, we're just running that right now because what we wanted to do was get through 2020, hopefully get into 2021 and see the impact of of covid you know as far as people's views for going forward well you can see all of this information on the fbhvc website fbhvc.co.uk and of course here at the mg car club we often share information and news releases from the fbhvc in the mg car club weekly e-newsletter and via the news pages of mgcc.co.uk exciting stuff ahead because we were talking about collaborations and here at the mg car club we've just announced that uh, uh, owing to the fact that MG Live wasn't able to take place at Silverstone this year, that um, we've teamed up with the Triumph Clubs for a big Triumph and MG show at Malvern at the Three Counties Showground this coming August. Great example there, isn't it, really, of clubs pulling together throughout this pandemic and overcoming the challenges together. And that's got to be the secret of the classic car movement going forward, working together. Absolutely. And I think there are many, many examples of that. And um, COVID has actually given um, quite a number of opportunities for different clubs uh, to come forward and, um, you know, keep their membership um, informed and infused. And, and that's, that's critical. And the Federation themselves, with National Drive It Day, have taken a slightly different twist to drive it day in 2021 because you announced just before christmas and uh, we've been promoting it heavily here because we're a big supporter of drive it day announced the fact that it was this year to support the nspcc's child line and that charitable tie-up between drive it day and a charity and, and the fundraising behind it is a completely new concept for the event isn't it that's right and interestingly um gentleman by the name of john worth who's the nspcc treasurer actually wrote to us just after um drive it day which of course uh, didn't happen on the roads, but happened on people's driveways and submitting pictures via social media um, in April last year. John wrote to us and said, have you ever thought of supporting a charity with Drive It Day? I must say, we've been absolutely delighted with the response from... Um, member organizations you know we started selling uh, rally plates um, in support of Childline on the drive it day co.uk website 
on the 1st of December. And I think there's not been a day when we've not taken orders uh, for rally plates. And there's four types on there. There's the standard plate in a, a car size and a motorcycle size. And we've also got um, a platinum supporter plate um, in both sizes um, for, for people who'd like to um, support the work of Childline, um, you know, with, with a few more pounds. Um, so, uh, brilliant reaction. Uh, Childline uh, over the moon with um, the support that the historic vehicle community um, has, has shown. They, they've been really, really surprised to say this is year one and conditions have been very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And all charities are really struggling at the moment because lockdown has stopped people from fundraising and for doing sponsored events. They've really struggled. And charities like Childline, the work that they do, they're needed more than ever at the moment. So fantastic to see that us as historic vehicle owners, whilst we're enjoying our our vehicles, enjoying our MGs out on the open road, we can put something back into the community and help people. Uh, That's a really good thing. Whilst raising, of course, the... Uh, knowledge and awareness around historic vehicles amongst the general public which of course is the whole idea behind national drive it day taking place this year on the 25th of april 2021 you can find out more of course via the website www.driveitday.co.uk where you can also get your plates there and you can order your plates in bulk as well so if you're a leader of a crb local center or register or if you run a regular event within the mg community you can buy plates for everyone to resell that's the best idea so that's driveitday.co.uk for all the information on that and um, a final question to you david because i hear it on the rumor mill that the fbhvc have been planting trees or intending to um (laughs) in seriousness though you are looking into on the instruction of some of the interesting data that came out of the historic vehicle survey looking to develop some environmental schemes for clubs like us here at the mg car club aren't you that's right um So we appointed an environmental director, uh, Peter Spurs, uh, last October. And he's uh, currently in research mode. Um, We've actually signed a memorandum of understanding with a British university that specialises in climate change. And... The, the research phase, I've learned an awful lot in the last six months. And uh, we even went up to look at a potential partner um, in Yorkshire um, who, who showed us um, acres and acres of land that they were planting trees on. And I think uh, we must have walked about five miles one morning and um, to be honest, um, I think I'm fairly quick on the uptake. And after I'd seen trees being planted for about four hours, <laughs> I did say to this guy, I, I think I've got it. I know how you plant a tree now. Um, but, um, yeah, we're, there's, there's, lots, there's lots of detail 
to get this right. And the idea is that um, we'll probably offer a portfolio of options that um, clubs and individuals can can choose. And it's the cost is is not at all unreasonable actually to be able to make uh, a donation and say, okay, well, I've offset um, the carbon that I generate through motoring this year. Um, and then next year, you might choose to do the same again or, or, or choose one of the other many different schemes. Excellent. We'll await to hear more details on that. And again, from the MG Car Club and the entire historic vehicle community, uh, great stuff from the Federation. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Keep fighting for us. And we'll continue to work together to ensure that the historic vehicle movement has a future here in the UK. So uh, David Whale, chairman of the FBHVC, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Wayne. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk